This is the Toasted Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. I'll get started with this black episode after I let you know about a couple of things here. First of all, Toasted Sister t-shirts have been printed by native artist Saba. I've known this guy for years and years, and he owns a print shop in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Uh, He's also a graffiti artist, so check him out at Saba Wear, Barricade Culture Shop, Homegrown Trading Post, and Aerosol Trading Post. It's Friday, September 25th right now, and I'll have these t-shirts available for purchase at ToastedSisterPodcast.com in a few days, so I have them sitting around in my living room because I'm getting them ready for this weekend. I'll be showing and selling Toasted Sister stickers, lino cut prints, and the t-shirts at the Indigis Show Art Show this weekend. That's September 26th and 27th. This virtual Indigenous Art Show includes a handful of panel talks about Indigenous art and media. Go to indigishow.squarespace.com for more information, and I'll post links about it all over social media. And speaking of selling things, my friend Addie from Dancing Butterfly Naturals and I, we made a goth black soap called Black Cedar. We're about two weeks away or so from making them available for sale, so keep an eye on this project on social media. And last thing here, I'd like to say thank you, thank you to this new crop of patrons who support this podcast on Patreon. Matsi Bread, Monica Brain, Hannah Reed, Tina Casagran, Hannah Gabriel, Philip Leckman, Kimmy, Lindsay Ems, Carmelita Gutierrez, Deanna Edmonds, and Haley Casey. Your support means a lot. And if you want to support this podcast on a monthly basis, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. There are different tiers you can sign up for, and each has their own little perk like stickers, prints, and now t-shirts. Find out about this at ToastedSisterPodcast.com. Okay, here we go. You all know my favorite color is black, right? Well, I also like black foods. So I asked Native foodies about black foods in their communities. In this episode, you'll hear from chefs Tanya Brandt, David Smoke McCluskey, and Andrea Murdoch, and from farmer Sherilyn Yazi. You can see some pictures of the black food they're talking about on the website, Toasted Sister Podcast. So here we go. Let's start with Tanya Brandt. Why do we have so many black fruits? But when I go to the grocery store, you might find maybe blackberries, and that's about it. Yet in the world around us, we have black choke cherries, um, our black cat berries, and even black corn. So that's a product I definitely love to work with. For me, black corn has an interesting history with our people. And specifically my family, we grow the Haudenosaunee sweet black corn. And it's a corn that we're kind of reintroducing um, to our confederacy And I'm really proud to be able to do that. And I kind of know somebody in every um, Haudenosaunee community now that's growing this corn. My mother started growing it about five years ago. Um, She had to acclimate it to the area and get it to a point where we could grow a little field of it. And as far as we knew that growing growing this corn was the first time it had been grown in our community in over 60 years. Um, So it was really... um, anticipated and it was really welcomed and it was just so different that I couldn't wait to get my hands on it and to work with it not only with it being dried but in its fresh stage 
something cool about that Haudenosaunee sweet black corn is it's actually the grandfather corn to the modern modern day peaches and cream that you see in the grocery store today. I just found that so cool. And it is a puckered corn. Um, puckered corns tell us that they have a high sugar content and they are actually fresh eating corn. So that's definitely what this is. And it's absolutely stunning corn to eat fresh because it actually grows white and then it changes to these beautiful, um, you'll see little white and yellow pieces throughout and then this like purpley blue kind of color kind of come over it and it doesn't actually turn completely black until it's dried so when you eat it fresh it's just this these wonderful colors and I can see how um, when they took the color out of that to make peaches and cream corn you can still see those white and yellow pieces throughout while it's growing and um, while it's still fresh and um that's what it tells me that 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 came from that corn and there's that remnants of, of what it used to be. So I really enjoy working with it. One of the things that I do with the black corn is I'll lie it um, the same way, like nixtamalize our corn and we make our cornbread out of that. And our cornbread is a it's a boiled bread. Um, so one thing I wanted to do a little differently with the black corn is that I made dumplings out of it um, to put in a soup. Um, that I was making with uh, Chef Dave Smoke McCletsky down in North Carolina. And um, it was the first time I did it. We talked about it. We kind of made this amazing soup. We like smoked turkey and we had some Iroquois cranberry beans that we infused with sweet grass. <clears throat> and then we took these black corn balls and put it into the soup. And it just came out so amazing. And it just reminded me of like, you know, flavors from being at your Duda's house and, and eating those simple foods, but they're just whole nutritious foods. And the black corn balls that were in there, um, once you grind it up, the corn looks kind of like a purpley um, color to it, purpley gray kind of color. So they were just really beautiful and really vibrant and, and something different that I was happy to serve to people down in North Carolina because the purpose of that trip was to promote Haudenosaunee foods and Haudenosaunee culture and how we can add those to our everyday life and show people that, you know, it can be done. It can be done at home. And we were teaching just being able to um, cook there on the property for their powwow with tons and tons of questions that it was just a really good time. And, you know, the fact that the soup turned out amazing, we were just really, um, really happy with. So I, I've made them a few times since then um, where we can make the the cornbread balls. And I really like it. Um because a lot of uh, that, I guess, for our people is kind of lost, where we kind of are just stuck in the same old thing that we're making, which is our, our white corn wheels, uh, cornbread wheels. So this was a little different um, just to show people like, hey, we can make our food fancy too. And I just like that idea of being able to get people excited about our traditional foods. Um, something else that came out of that from working with that black corn is I actually made, um, I call it my all black everything cake. So I kind of had this dream where I just, I was like, I want to make a dessert. I really want to make a dessert. And I don't know why at the time I was just fascinated with black foods. And um, Andy, I think you can understand that as well. <laughs> I think she's a little obsessed with black foods as well. So I was like, what am I going to do? Right. So then I kind of started thinking about, yes, like, why do we have so many black foods? And how do I incorporate them into this one cake or one dish, this one dessert? So what I did was I took the Haudenosaunee sweet black corn and I ground it up and I made a flour. So I was like, okay, well, I'm making a cake. So how about I just start with like a Johnny cake? So I started with that, but I used our our black corn with it. So when it came out, it was just this really pretty dark, like bluish gray, like 
just really lovely color. And I was just so encouraged by that, that I'm like, okay, what's the next step, right? What are we going to do next? So I took some of our black cat berries and I didn't have many. So I, I added um, blackberries as well. So I'm like, okay, I'll make a compote, right? Like, so it was sort of uh, like the traditional, you see a, a cornbread or a fried bread with the um, wajape. So I made a compote out of it to cover that. And and I wanted to extend it as well as what else can we put in there? Um, so we made, we took black walnuts and made a black walnut frosting out of it. And it just turned out really well. And it just worked so good together um, that we put it on there. It was just amazing. And we topped it with some popped amaranth. And I even put a little bit of black lava salt uh, sprinkled on the plate for um, just that little bit of difference of flavor um, to cut the sweetness because the frosting um, can be pretty sweet as well because it was sweetened with maple syrup. So we just kind of did all these elements of like, what kind of black foods can I put into this cake? And then when it came out... It tasted so great. And, and the people, when I first made it, it was at a workshop. So I kind of just took some people under my wing and like, okay, we're going to do this, right? So once we got it done, we were all so amazed with this product that came out. And it was so pretty. And I was just like, it's all black. And we're like, okay, this is our all black everything cake. So I was really happy to make that. Yeah, it just kind of furthered this notion that I, I that I really loved our black foods and really loved working with them and seeing them and and knowing that dark foods like that are, are just so nutritionally dense, they're high in antioxidants, and they have so many benefits for us that we really do need to be eating more of them. Um, and this was a way to promote that. And how would we work with all these black foods that might seem weird, right? Because there's not many of those foods in the grocery store, or foods that we see anymore that are that color. But for us traditionally, like the, that's some of our most nutritious foods when you're looking at like elderberries and um, just different foods that are such a deep, rich color, but it just tells you how absolutely nutrient dense our indigenous foods are. Um, so that's part of my work is how do we get back to eating those foods in our everyday lives, not just on a rare occasion or a celebration, but how do we do that every day and start cutting out the processed fake foods that we're eating every day? Um, so part of that passion came from literally just working with black foods because I thought they were so cool. But yeah, I think that's about everything I have to say um, on Black Foods. And I'd really like to thank Andy and the Toasted Sister podcast for asking me to uh, do this short clip. I look forward to the episode and hearing what other people have to say about Black Foods because I know it's something that we all really enjoy. Um, and I'm really happy to do this episode for you. Here's Mohawk chef David Smugbukleski talking about black corn. Uh, it's kind of a sweet corn that we also use for, for drying. Um, and I'm, I'm using it to make a uh, fermented corn, which here in the southeast we'd call a soft key. And it's, it's something that used to be made by the Iroquois, by the Haudenosaunee people. And for some reason, we've, we've let it fall out of our food lexicon like many other things. So what I've basically done here in my research is I thought that this black corn, which is kind of sweet even when it's dry might be kind of a cool thing to make this fermented corn out of. So I've nixtamalized it, I've rinsed it, and I've allowed it to naturally ferment on the countertop. Uh, this one's gone for a few days um, in a glass jar, and uh, it gets to a little certain point, and I stick it in the refrigerator, let it slowly ferment. Um, I taste it. It tastes a little bit sweet and a little bit sour. 
So I stick it in the fridge really to make it last a little bit longer, let the wild yeast work a little bit slower. And uh, this is actually for a, another food demo that I'll be doing for another group. And uh, we just kind of wanted to see how it, how it tasted black. And I've, I'll be doing a whole dish with them with that, probably with some koji cured chanterelle mushrooms that, I've, that, that we've foraged for. Um, so we'll, we'll make a little bit of koji pickled chanterelle mushrooms to go on top of this fermented corn uh, mush, I guess you could call it, is what we're going to make with it. So I can't wait to taste it, really, the completed dish, so it, so it should be fun. The corn itself tastes pretty sweet because because it's a sweet corn, so we eat it we eat it both raw and dried. So it's a pretty versatile corn. Uh, it's not as sturdy as say our white corns that we'd normally make make mush with, but it's got a great flavor. Uh, it comes out like a grayish black color when it's done um, after we've nixtamalize it. And uh, sometimes we make bread with it. Sometimes we make dumplings. Sometimes it's just mush. For the dish I'm making, it'll be kind of a rough rough mush if you will so it'll be almost like a thick grits so uh we'll 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 cook that further probably with a little bit of hickory nut milk um because it's starting to be hickory nut season here as well they're starting to get the early drops out of the trees so i like to save those for things like nuts and whatnot uh nut milks is, is we really won't eat eat the nuts this variety of corn is an older variety um, from a black pucker corn that the Iroquois used to keep as one of our corns that we'd eat and we'd use in ceremony. Uh, it's it's really one of the first sweet corns, and it 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 uh, is a relative of most other sweet corns. So uh, I, I forget which which breeds that it's a direct uh, are are directly descended from it, but there there's some of the more well-known sweet corn. So it's a pretty interesting thing that we have here. Sometimes it's sometimes it's referred to as Mexican black or Aztec black, and that's because uh, people that find seeds sometimes like to rename them sexier names. But I don't think Aztec is quite as sexy as Iroquois or Potinoshone for that matter. Uh, so uh, we'll call it Iroquois just so everyone knows who it is. This corn really is is something that's that's... These fermented corn dishes are are not something that even here in the southeast where um, I've been able to kind of glean some information from are still super popular. So and, and certainly not as a not as a sour soured corn dish. Um, so sometimes it's 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 often used as like a drink or, or or a light porridge, which is still pretty refreshing in itself. But um, with all of the with all the excitement about fermenting things and, and koji and miso and things like that, it kind of brought brought this thought process here of, of me thinking about our own uh, uh fermented corn that we've basically we've we've lost track of in our in our food ways. So um, I was curious to try the corn and see if maybe I could revive that for some of us. Um, Sometimes when I've aged it out, um, I've aged this out a few times over over two months, and it's quite tasty. It's very reminiscent to me of a miso, of which I have a few of in the in the fridge. So it's pretty interesting that we haven't gone through the gone through the Asian process. But what sparked my interest in this fermented corn was first hearing about my friend Ken Fortunato's 
sweet corn miso. Uh, that got me real excited and got, and got me wondering about what our fermented corn itself tasted like at, at one point. So um, it's pretty neat that, that this to me has come out to be something that, that tastes very similar to miso without the koji, without the rice, if any of you all are all familiar with that at all. Um, even, even when it's fermented, it has kind of a sweet flavor. Though not quite as sweet as you would think for uh, like regular sweet corn. Those are really bred to be super sugary even when they're past their, past their date uh, of, of when most people would eat, eat a sweet corn. So um, it's just a pretty neat, neat corn. And it's, it's, uh, it's actually kind of whitish yellow in its milk stage. And it turns to this black color as it ages a little bit and, and as it dries. So... Uh, kind of a neat, neat corn that kind of morphs into something else, or, or I should say, one of the interesting things about black corn is that it's, it has um, anthocyanins, and is known to have antioxidant as well as anti-inflammatory benefits, as well as the usual benefits of nixtamalizing the corn, um, all those minerals and whatnot that are that they're involved with that as well. So, um, really neat. Waiting to see see. Uh, see if I can do this one right as, as good as I did the white one so what I'm really trying to do is recreate something or breathe life back into one of our old foodways and I was kind of curious about how the black would work and, and look as a f fermented corn mush so uh, that obviously attracted attracted you with your fascination with black foods so uh, here we have Iroquois corn mush I think I called it black corn under glass. And let's go down to Denver, Colorado with Andrea Murdoch, chef and founder of Four Directions Cuisine. She's on episode two of this podcast if you want to hear more about her. Here she is talking about chichas and chicha morada, the one made with a very dark black purplish corn. You can find it fermented so it contains alcohol or non-fermented it's uh, a really popular beverage that originated in the Andes and Amazonian regions of Latin America. Uh, while corn is the most common grain that's used to produce the chicha, other vegetation can certainly be used like quinoa or manioc. Uh, more people know that um, as uh, yucca uh, as opposed to manioc. Uh, chichas are really unique to their own regions, actually, so there are quite a few variations. Uh, for example, most people are familiar with a Peruvian chicha morada. Uh, it's made with uh, purple corn, pineapple, and spices all boiled together. It's a little bit earthy from the corn and the spices, and it's actually just a touch starchy from the corn as well, but then it's also sweet between uh, from the pineapple. Uh, that gets boiled down with everything. So it's it's this really beautiful, uh, it, it tastes really, really rich, but it's so simple with just a few ingredients. And, you know, and then, of course, if you ferment it, you know, it develops the alcohol and you have an alcoholic beverage. But a lot of people actually know the, the non-alcoholic version. And then, you know, if you think about Venezuela, uh, my home country, a chicha de arroz is popular which is made by boiling together rice milk and sugar and for those familiar with eggnog there are actually similarities between the two just in terms of you know sweetness and, and consistency uh, you know put a little dusting of cinnamon on top and it's it's just a really refreshing and, and really special drink 
And then even within Venezuela, the chicha changes when you move to the Andes region of the country. Uh, the variation here is the addition of a fermented pineapple, which gives it, you know, kind of a light liquor flavor, uh, which a lot of people enjoy. And it's actually, um, you know, more of a special version of the drink that's re reserved for the Christmas time uh, and just has, a, you know, the simple name of Chicha Andina. And then, uh, you know, chicha is commonly known and, and used as a social beverage. Um, even one of my favorite breweries here in, in Denver has both uh, alcoholic and non-alcoholic chicha uh, on tap. But, um, you know, both versions, or rather regardless of the version, uh, it was actually uh, very important to our ancestors for ceremonial use. Originally, um, there was always this group of, you know, chosen women who were selected to study the Inca religion, including the very important task of chicha brewing, uh, which is actually a fact that I recently uh, learned, and, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. But, um, yeah, chichas are, chichas are a, a really, actually, a, a fairly expansive uh, beverage. It changes from country to country uh, in South America and there's uh, a little bit of history to the beverage that a lot of people don't know but uh, that's what's so fun about you know both food and beverages. Every, everything has an origination and to learn about those in you know like a food and beverage geeky you know anthropo anthropological way is it was just a lot of fun to me and really cool. This is Cheryl Yazi from Coffee Pot Farms in Dalcon, Arizona on the Navajo Nation. And I wanted to, this morning, make sure we get up early. Let the roosters wake us up. The chickens are already scratching away, getting something to eat. And I wanted to kind of talk to you about our, our newest additions, the IM Samani chickens. They are a very pretty bird. Um, I never used to be into chickens, um, but and in the past couple of years, you know, they just have really been a farm animal that are really easy to take care of. Um, they're fun to watch. They're very social birds and you know you kind of get to know them pretty well. I have over 40 of them. The birds that I want to talk to you about today, the I am Samani, they're a breed that's all black. Um, we had uh, been at a farmer's market, our local farmer's market, and we came across the a man whose name is Ken, and he does, you know, breed and works with chickens. Um, and so he had was talking about this all-black chicken, and I, my ears was like, oh my god, that is so cool. <laughs> so in talking to him, I learned that you know that they are all black. Their their beaks, so the eyes on my I am Samadhi all black their beak and 
the, the legs are all black, um, and they're just really beautiful to watch, you know. I noticed that, like, in the sun, when the sun comes up and it's a little bit earlier, and you kind of see them, they have, like, this little really pretty tint when they walk. They have, like, it shines, these like, a little bit of, um, like, a bluish to a green color. I don't know if that kind of would make sense, but um, they're very beautiful birds. I noticed that these two, these two, they're a little bit younger than my other birds that they're with now. Um, they seem to be a little shy, but I mean, that makes, that would make sense that they're, they're new to, to my, to the flock. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, what kind of eggs they produce. They're going to be hens, they're girls, and I call them my Wednesdays after the Adam family. Um, Wednesday just makes sense to <laughs> call them that. In reading up on them, it says that they have the inside of them are going to be, their organs are going to be black. The bone says they could be either like a bluish color or a black color. So I won't know what that looks like if for about a couple of years. They're about nine weeks old. Um, so they're fairly young. And um, I'm going to let them, you know, do their, their whole thing of, and make sure they lay some eggs and we get to have some. And reading about them, it said the eggs usually are not going to be black. So it would be cool, but um, it's not going to be black. <laughs> and then as they get older and they stop having eggs, then we'll probably, you know, get to um, slaughter or butcher them. And then I'll be able to check to see if they're all black. <laughs> um, I also read that their the blood, you know, is not all black. It's kind of a darker red color. So when we get to that stage, maybe I'll do a part two or either just show pictures. So on our farm, on Coffee Pot Farms, there's not anything else that we're growing that is all black. But I've heard like there is a radish that the outside of it will be black. The inside will be kind of the, your, you know, your white color. There's a lot of things that would be near like the purple color, which we have a like a purple um, majestic potato. Um, you know, what we're doing here is just trying to, you know, grow as much food as we can for our community. And in the small piece of land that we have, um, and this year, you know, with the pandemic, I thought it was really important to try to grow a variety of food so that way we would be able to put together a small weekly food box and be able to sell it. So we have things like, um, you know, variety squash. We grew zucchinis, yellow squash, acorn squash, butternut squash. And then we have some of the other winter squash, again, like our, our pumpkin that's still coming out. Um, we did a variety of um, peppers as well, kale, lettuce. We did tomatoes, which in our our hoop house, we have um, about five different variety of tomatoes, and oh my gosh, everything smells so good when you pick them, you first harvest them, and when you finally get to like bite into it and taste it, it the flavors are just so much different from how you would um, 
buy something from the grocery store. I think that's really important for people to know is that it, the you know the comparisons are different. Uh, you don't have to add too much when you cook with them. You, you know, like salads. When you pick a salad, a fresh salad from the garden, and you just put it together. You know, it doesn't even need a salad dressing. You know, I was talking about butchering chickens. When you cook them, when you... These guys here, my my, my chickens. Um, the flavor is is like... It kicks it up to... 11 and you know their broth is so much more tastier it's so good I want to be able to learn how to work with my chickens or you know when, when it's time to cook how to um, use the whole bird um, I know in some countries they use everything um, feet and I want to be able to learn how to do that That was episode 68, All Black, Everything. Thank you to Tanya Brandt, David Smoke McCluskey, Andrea Murdoch, and Sherilyn Yazzie. Links to their work are in the show notes. Keep tabs on what I'm doing on social media and sign up for the newsletter. The Toasted Sister Podcast is supported by the Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation. Music by C.W. Ione. Check out his music at cwione.com. That's c-w-a-y-o-n.com. And I'm Andy Murphy, creator, producer, host of the Toasted Sister Podcast, and we'll see you around. Mm-hmm.